Let's continue our series through Micah. We'll be in Micah chapter 5. We've seen throughout this study so far that judgment is on the way for both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Corruption has permeated the land. Covetousness is everywhere. People are deceiving others out of their heritage and lands. The princes, the prophets, and the priests were all working for money. God had had enough of the corruption and the rejection of his law and the rejection of the prophets that had come to foretell of this. So along with foretelling of God's judgment to come, Micah also foretells of God's deliverance, which was going to come through Christ. And that's where we're going to pick up again in Micah chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. So we've already considered verses 1 through 3. Judgment's on the way, but God still had unfinished business to do in Judah. And so while captivity was coming for Judah, God's not done with them yet. He's going to have to bring them back from captivity because God had made a covenant with David that one was going to sit on the throne forever. And of his kingdom, there would be no end. He is the one that would be born in verse 2, the ruler in Israel. Um, Jesus, the Christ, was and still is the fulfillment of verse number 2. Thank God for that. He is the ruler to come in the Davidic covenant. And all of this started to be foretold all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and God came and said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then God would later narrow that down further from just a generic saying that a seed would come, but that this promised seed would come through Abraham. And God told Abraham that there was, there was one to come that all the nations of the world could be blessed in this one. And then God would narrow that down even further in David, and He would make a covenant with David. One would sit upon the throne forever. And then we see here in verse number 2 that we are given the place. It just keeps narrowing down is what I'm trying to say. This, this overall prophecy gets narrowed down to Abraham, then narrowed down to Judah and David. And then we're told where in Judah and Bethlehem and and, and the Bible, the, the theme, the, the grand subject is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it builds, and it builds. It leads up to Jesus Christ arriving. And it culminates in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then don't you know, 
It builds again to his second coming. And that's what we're waiting for now. Listen to the second to last verse of Revelation. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And so if all the Old Testament prophecies of Christ are true, doesn't it stand a reason that all the New Testament and all the ones left to be fulfilled are going to be fulfilled just as they were given? What a blessing to know that we have uh, a word that we can trust. And so we see in this promise seed there would be deliverance for Israel. We know this deliverance extends to whosoever will call upon the Lord. We considered from verse 3 last week that this deliverance would begin sometime after this one was born. Therefore, it says, He will give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So while Judah would be delivered from Babylonian captivity, God gave Judah up to the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. That was over 500 years of this Gentile presence in, in Judea. And, but there was deliverance to come in Christ. Aren't you glad there's deliverance in Christ? Amen. There was a deliverance to come. And no, it wasn't a political deliverance. There was still the Romans there. They were in power for a couple hundred years still to come, if not more. And, and even today, you look at the, the skyline of Jerusalem and it's clear that there's Gentile dominance. There's the Muslim shrine there. Um, so, what kind of deliverance must Jesus be bringing here in Micah? I believe it must be a spiritual deliverance from our sins. But when the fullness of time was come, God brought forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The fullness of time was when Mary, the virgin, travailed with child and brought forth the Christ, this one who was born king, of the Jews. In Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them. In the end, just as foretold, the Messiah, the ruler in Israel, was brought forth in Bethlehem. And we've already been studying that verse, but according to verse 3, then there would be deliverance, but it would be spiritual. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, The child Mary conceived was of the Holy Ghost. That's what he told her, or told Joseph. Remember, Joseph had every right to be like, What's going on, girl? It's not natural to just immaculately conceive. Okay, so we got to give Joseph a lot of credit. I think he was an outstanding man. Seriously, I, I mean, it's just incredible. And so, anyway, the angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph in a dream, and he says, hey, don't worry, the child that, that she's conceived, it's, it's of God. But he, but he said this in Matthew one twenty one. The angel said, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why He came. That's the deliverance that Jesus brings. That word save, it means to deliver. Christ didn't come to deliver Israel from Gentile governments, nor did He come to deliver Gentiles from wicked and oppressive governments. It's a spiritual deliverance, not a political deliverance. Remember right after Jesus had been baptized, He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and being tempted of the devil. 
He was in the synagogue in Nazareth after that, and he stood to read from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Remember this? And he found the place that we call Isaiah 61. And this is what he read in Luke 14, 18-19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So which captives was Jesus referring to that He was going to deliver? And how were they going to be delivered? How would they be set at liberty? And what kind of liberty is Jesus referring to? It clearly must mean a spiritual deliverance because there was no earthly deliverance. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's what we've been delivered, amen? Amen. From what? Sin. The power of darkness. And have translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. What's remarkable is if you'll study that word uh, redemption and forgiveness in Colossians 1.14, it means deliverance and liberty through Christ's blood. That's what He came to do. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Deliverance from an earthly standpoint was never Jesus' primary objective. He may choose to do that. And I hope that He does here in America. We need to be delivered from this wickedness. But he may not choose to do that. Um, but deliverance from sin is why he came. And listen, we got to come to terms with the fact that he may not bring political deliverance to this land. Our nation is crumbling before our very eyes. Whether we see another political revolution towards righteousness is debatable. But it doesn't change the deliverance we have in Christ. It doesn't change our mission as a church either. We are still charged to do as Christ did when He was here. We preach the gospel to the poor. We do that because it can heal the brokenhearted. It can open blinded eyes. It can set the captive free. It can set at liberty those that are bruised. We are now that arm. Jesus has said, all power is given to me. Now you go and do this. And so now we're doing that through Christ. We don't bring the salvation. We don't bring the healing, but He does, and we take them to Christ. Amen? And no matter the political climate that we live in, the day that we live in, we still are to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, look at verse 4. And He shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall He be great unto the ends of the earth. So the context here in verse 4, the the he, this one who is from everlasting, will be born ruler in verse 2. Therefore, it's the Messiah here in verse 3. He shall stand and feed. Jesus will stand and feed. And this is a beautiful picture here of the Lord's work. He is said to be standing, which not only speaks of the stability and the endurance of His kingdom, it stands But it's also, the word stand is often a term of work. It is ministry. It is service. He would not only be a ruler, 
but he would be a servant. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, which means to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus is truly a servant king. Isn't that amazing? He's a servant king. He's to be served, right? We are to serve him, but he serves those who are serving him. It's just amazing. You don't find this with other religions, okay? And we see in verse 4 that one way in which he serves is he stands to feed his people. In Luke twenty two twenty seven, it says, For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as one that serveth. Jesus saying, look, I've humbled myself and I'm serving you. We all know in our minds that if there's a butler running around, that dude is not greater than the one he's serving. Jeeves, you know, whatever his name is. That seems to be a popular servant. Name. Ask Jeeves. Whatever happened to that anyway? Anyway. Um, that's neither here nor there, right? But we know that the one serving is less than the one being served. But Jesus said, look, I'm among you as one that is serving. And we know he's greater than all. The, the picture in that verse I just read you is very clear. Those who are seated are being fed by the one who is standing. Jesus said, I am among you as he that serveth. In other words, Jesus is the one standing, serving the food. So we find in Christ one who stands to feed His people. And if you are malnourished today, it is your fault. Sorry, it's Sunday school. Let me say that a little more teaching. If you happen to be malnourished, it could be you're not right with God. If you're malnourished as a child of God, you have chosen to do so. You can't get better feeding than from the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall stand and feed. He's willing to feed. He is standing to serve you, to feed you. But you have to be willing to receive it. And here's the deal. You must hunger it enough to desire it. Because you're going to do what you desire to do. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Why are they filled? Because they hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Psalm 107.9 For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. The only ones who are filled are those who hunger. And the only ones who are satisfied are those who will long after. And you have to be hungry enough and long after his word enough to be filled. From the hymn Satisfied we read, feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. We can just feed off of the scraps of the world and be malnourished, or we can go back to the Father's house, whoop, and we can be fed 
he'll kill the fatted calf, amen? And he'll come out and he'll feed and he'll stand to serve you and you can sit and just enjoy the riches of Christ. The world and the things of this world will never satisfy your hunger. It's artificial flavoring. It's processed food. In Christ we find the water and the bread of life. It's rich and free. We have the milk and we have the meat of God's Word to feed from. John 6, 27, Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath the hath God the Father sealed. Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open wide thy mouth, and I will fill it. The Bible says you can be fat and flourishing. Even into your old age, the Bible says. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. That's what the Bible says. There's no excuse for malnourished Christians. It only comes about as a result of being a lazy sluggard who refuses to bring his hand back to his mouth again. That's what the proverb says. So, aren't you glad this morning we can say this? Be a fat child of God. Fat Baptist. Now, this word for feed, this, is, this, this whole passage here is amazing, but this word for feed goes beyond just feeding someone. But it means to tend to a flock. He shall stand and feed. He's going to serve food. But the feeding actually is talking about being a shepherd. Therefore, Christ is our shepherd king. Amen. This is very intriguing when you read Matthew 2.6 in the Greek. That's the passage where, the, where Herod goes to the chief priest and he demands to know where this one born king of the Jews, was, was born. And they say this in Matthew 2, 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now, what's amazing is when you read that in the Greek, and I try not to do this too much because I don't know Greek, but it's interesting, that word governor, it, it means to rule over. And that word rule means to tend as a shepherd, stand and feed, governor and rule. They're the same things here. To tend as a shepherd. Uh, seven out of the 11 times the Greek word for rule is used in the New Testament, it is translated as feeding. The, the Messiah shall stand and feed or he shall, he shall shepherd us as our king. Spurgeon wrote this, Christ's reign in His church is that of a shepherd king. He has supremacy, but it is the superiority of a wise and tender shepherd over His needy and loving flock. He commands and receives obedience, but it is the willing obedience of the well-cared-for sheep. Render, joy, render joyfully to their beloved shepherd, whose voice they know so well. He rules by the force of love and the energy of goodness." End quote. And I believe what Spurgeon was trying to say was this, is that, listen, we serve God because we're well served. Does that make sense? Listen, we, we, we in Christ, we know that we have it good. We, we know that we've had His mercy and His grace and we've been justified and sanctified. We know all that we have in Christ and because of that, we, 
willingly want to be obedient to Him. Amen? We, we want to serve Him because we have a King that is serving us. And, and listen, for you guys in the military, you know, and I don't know about the civilian world, I imagine it's exactly the same, but you have that, that leader in your chain of command that is with you, that is working beside of you, is getting their hands dirty with you, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a different level of respect there than the guy that's just on his computer playing free cell. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Okay, well, um, Jesus, he smells like the sheep because he's around the sheep. And that's what they say of a shepherd. A shepherd smells like sheep. He's with them. Psalm 23, 1 and 2, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Isaiah 40 and verse 11, He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Hebrews 13, 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. As our chief shepherd, he brings us into green pastures. Amen? He leads us beside still waters. He is our food. He is our water given to us through the Word of God. He guides us, directs us, goes before us. He is the breaker who clears the way back in Micah chapter 2. He cares. He nourishes. He carries. He drives off the enemy, protects us. And of course, he laid down his life for us. There's more we could add, I'm sure. But let's, let's keep moving here. He stands and feeds, but notice next in verse 4 what, how he does this. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord his God. He watches over us in the strength of God. <laughs> Listen, we, God, who is greater than all, the Bible says, gave the, the sheep to Christ who keeps them in His hand, and we cannot be plucked out. He, he feeds us in the strength of the Lord. There is no greater strength. In the majesty of the Lord his God. What Christ accomplishes for us, in us, and through us is of God. They're inseparable, Christ and God. What Christ does is an act of God. The Bible says that Jesus taught them as one having authority. How did he get that authority? He came in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of His name. And everybody recognized there's something different about this guy. When he stood up to read what I read you there in Luke, Isaiah 61, and he handed it back to the, the guy in charge, the eyes were fastened upon him, the Bible says. Who is this man? Our king, our shepherd, our teacher can never be trumped. There's no higher authority. Listen, there's no better watch care there's no better instruction. We have all in Christ and we abound. And what Christ does, He does in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God or in the excellency of God. Jesus said, My Father which gave them me is greater than 
all. And then he said this after he, he said, no man's able to pluck them out. He says, I and my Father are one. He said, the Father is in me and I in Him. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 2.9, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. And the Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son. God has given Christ the authority to exercise judgment. As the Father hath life in Himself, so He gave to the Son to have life in Himself. And then Jesus said, all power is given unto me. And because of this, we see in verse 4 that they shall abide. What a blessing. Those who come to God through Christ shall abide. Which literally means, this is so awesome, I'm telling you. This passage is so cool. Which literally means, they shall sit down. Are you getting this? He shall stand and feed. And he says, those that are in Christ, listen, you will abide. You will sit down. What are we sitting down for? Because the master is going to feed us. Man, this is so good, I'm telling you. You just had to be there when I was studying, amen. I kept taking laps in the garage. We are the ones who get to sit down. We are the ones who get to dwell. We are the ones who get to be settled, remain in, abide. We are kept by the power of God. We no longer have to wander to and fro. We no longer have to be like children tossed to and fro. Zephaniah 3.13 says, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And in relation to the church, we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. There is safety in Christ. There is perseverance in Christ. There is hope in Christ. We abide safely in Christ. He's done all the work for us. Amazing. What God does that. I, listen, the gods of this world, you have to appease them. But in Christ, He appeased the wrath of God in our place. And because of that, when we come to Christ and we're, we're now in the family, we have this, this peace and this safety. We are the ones who have become partakers of His labor. Listen, according to Ephesians, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places where? In Christ. Isn't that awesome? We have been raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. We are partakers of all that He's done. Isn't that amazing? Uh, we have been raised up and made what? To sit together. <laughs> I tell you, I'm about to have a spell. And because of who Christ is, we see at the end of verse 6, now shall He be great unto the ends of the earth. You know what Gabriel told Mary about Jesus? He shall be great. Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, 
and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Psalm 72, 8, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Isaiah 52, 10, For the Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It's hard to imagine, Brother Kraft, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, it's hard to imagine that there's a place left upon this earth where the Word of God hasn't gone. Isn't that just kind of hard? I mean, I suppose there's some unreached people group out there. Or at least we're, we're told that that's probably the case. But it's exciting to me to think that the Word of God has almost been preached everywhere. You say, why is that so exciting? Because of what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And what did Jesus say next? And then shall the end come. Boy, it's hard to believe we're not close. You know what I mean? I mean, there's no more place to go. There's no uncharted land. It's all GPSed. You're findable. It's just amazing. Jesus said once it's been preached all around, the end's coming. And you would think with all the technology we have today, all the ways that the gospel is being preached, surely we're close. Notice the first part of verse 5. And this man shall be the peace. Because Christ stands and feeds in the name and majesty of God, and because we abide in Him, we can, we can know peace. We can have peace in this world even though it's falling apart. We can have peace. I want you to know that having peace is not an absence of turmoil. It's not an absence of tribulation or persecution. But through it all, we can have peace that passes all understanding. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts were praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. But how do we reconcile that with what Jesus said in Matthew 10.34? Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Well, were the angels and the heavenly host wrong when they said peace on earth? The peace that Christ brought to earth was not peace among the nations. He was clear that nation was going to continue to fight one another. That there would be wars and rumors of war. So the peace that Christ brought to this earth, it was not political, but it was Peace with God for those who put their faith and trust in Christ. That's how there's peace on earth. Peace with God. I can't guarantee that there's going to be peace with America and Afghanistan. Are you seeing what's happening? Taliban's taking it right back over. Nation against nation. Wars and rumors of wars. But Jesus, I thought you came to bring peace to this earth. He said, no, I didn't come to bring peace in that way. I actually brought a sword because the gospel is very divisive. 
But if you want peace, then you come to Christ and you get reconciled to God. You know what the Bible says? Ephesians 2, 14 and 7, For He is our peace, speaking of Jesus. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off into them that were nigh. You cannot separate peace and being reconciled to God. That's what that passage says. In Colossians 1, verses 20 and 21, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, listen to what it says next, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. What's the peace? It's being in a right relationship with God. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. It's a guarantee. But my peace I give unto you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Amen. So this peace, this man of peace, and this man shall be the peace. It is us being able to be right with God. John 14, 27, I guess I had it in here, sorry. Which is good because I wasn't really quoting it. I was making it up as I went. Peace I leave with you, my peace give, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes. Amen. So listen, are you reconciled to God today? Do you have peace? This, this, this one that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to stand and feed. He's going to do so in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord is God. We get to abide as a result of it or we get to sit down and get fed. And this man shall be the peace. Do you have peace today? Do you have peace? I hope you can see just how rich these verses are. This is amazing. I I never saw all this before, but I guess that's the fun of studying. Amen? They're so rich. We have a shepherd king who watches over us. We abide in him and now we can have peace. Though this world has lost its mind, we can have peace that our Lord is in complete control. Let's pray.